Christmas break is over. The Zags are set to take on North Alabama on Tuesday afternoon. Today is going to be a preview of that game and the five things that I will be watching for specifically, as well as an update on some of our high-performing Zags in the NBA, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, ready to take you through another season of Gonzaga hoops. Today's episode is brought to you by Sonos. Sonos is the official sponsor of ESPN College Football. Go to Sonos.com to learn more. I also want to thank all of you who make this podcast your first listen of the day. Some of you I know have been listening for a really long time. Some of you are much newer to the show. Either way, I appreciate you checking the show out on a daily basis. This is the only five-day-a-week Gonzaga podcast coming at you every single day of the week, so I do appreciate all of you who make it a priority to check this show out. You can, of course, check it out on YouTube as well. If you have not done that already, go to youtube.com, search Locked on Zags. You can go ahead and hit that subscribe button as well. I sincerely appreciate it. Up nearly at 250 subscribers, which is just amazing. Thank you all for being people who subscribe to the show. I really do appreciate it. If you haven't yet, but you are a listener, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. I really appreciate it. All right, so today we're looking at North Alabama. The Zags are taking them on at 2 p.m. Pacific time on Tuesday. Kind of a strange start time. I did a little bit of digging. I'm not sure I found a definitive answer as to why that is. It could potentially just be a situation where it was an easier time for North Alabama to fly home after the game. There's no students, obviously, because it is not during the school year. So perhaps just kind of a series of factors that allowed them to play that game a little earlier than normal, but hopefully you're able to get the time off from work. Uh, this week between Christmas and New Year's is often a uh, a week that doesn't have a lot of productivity in the office anyway, so hopefully there's a chance to sneak away and watch the Zags for a couple of hours. Looking at North Alabama, they are in their fourth season of Division One hoops. That has been a theme of Gonzaga's non-conference slate when they are not playing super elite teams like Texas, Duke, UCLA, Alabama, etc., they are often playing teams that are relatively new to the Division I level. They are in the A-Sun Conference along with Bellarmine, another one of those teams that has not been at the Division I level for a very long time. North Alabama 7-5 so far on the year. They are 287th in Ken Palm. Obviously not a great ranking there. However, they do actually present a pretty solid challenge for Gonzaga in one specific way. Uh, they're similar to Bellarmine in a lot of ways. They're Really, they're good defensively. I was going to say really good. That's that's probably a bit extreme. Ken Palm does has them has them have them. Excuse me, as a top two hundred defense in the country at one hundred and ninety fifth. That's compared to their three hundred twenty ninth ranked offense, which there's about three hundred and fifty one, I believe, three hundred and fifty four maybe Division one teams in the country. So their offense is very very close to the end of the list. So not going to put up a lot of points. Not going to score successfully on Gonzaga's defense would be my expectation, but their defense is at least adequate enough to challenge Gonzaga in some ways, make them be a little bit more creative, which is good. We've seen Gonzaga's offense certainly get flustered by good defenses so far this season. We'd like any kind of tune-up game you want to look for what positives the Zags can take out of it, and I think for this one, 
While I don't expect the outcome to be particularly in doubt, I do expect Gonzaga to get challenged at least on the offensive end of the floor, which is never a bad thing as they go into conference play and they're still kind of trying to find what kind of team they want to be. Uh, Sticking with North Alabama, they had a bad loss to Iona. They lost by 16 points in that one and they got boat raced by Auburn. Auburn only scored 70 points in that one, but North Alabama only mustered 44 so that's the kind of game I think they're they're going to try to score more than 44 points, obviously, but they're going to try to hope they can hold Gonzaga to lower than their season average uh, in points. Uh, they did play well against Central Florida, a decent team. They only lost by 11 in that one, but they don't really have any signature wins yet on the year. A decent non-conference schedule, but didn't pick up any wins against any of the teams that, that might have raised some eyebrows had they managed to secure a victory. One of the things that stands out to me when you talk about them as a good defensive team is they're very, very good at forcing turnovers. This is their strength as a defensive team. And it's also one of Gonzaga's weaknesses. Arguably, at this point, their biggest weakness, now that we have seen the three-point shooting improve, is the turnovers. And Northern Alabama is the seventh best non, has the seventh-best non-steal turnover rate in the country. So they force a lot of bad passes. They, they generate a lot of turnovers without stealing the basketball. This is, again, where Gonzaga struggles. They make a lot of bad passes, particularly we've talked about it a lot with the bigs. Drew Timmy, Chet Holmgren, and Anton Watson have committed a significant chunk of Gonzaga's turnovers. You know, normally when you think of turnovers, you think of the guards, you think of Andrew uh, Andrew Nampard, Rasier Bolton, those guys. And they have had their issues with turnovers this season as well. About the only guard who really hasn't is Nolan Hickman, which is why he has been praised so significantly by many people who watch this team is because of his ability as a true freshman to limit turnovers, which is very rare. But this is a team that's going to attempt to get Gonzaga to, to cough the ball up. And considering Gonzaga has coughed the ball up quite a bit this year, that is something that I will be watching pretty closely in this game. North Alabama is also the 11th best free throw shooting team in the country, which I don't particularly think will be relevant necessarily, but for a team that's very bad offensively, to be shooting 78.8% from the free throw line is really impressive. Likely a big contributor to that is just the simple fact that they probably haven't been to the line all that often. They're not a particularly aggressive offensive team. They haven't really found any level of identity on offense. So they probably just don't take a lot of free throws. But clearly when they do, they convert them at a really high rate. So that's something to potentially watch out for in this game as well. They're also a 36% three-point shooting team. Not great, but far from bad. The kind of team that could potentially, it wouldn't be crazy to see them knock down a lot of threes in this game, particularly their lead guard, Daniel Ortiz, their best player. He's averaging 10.5 points, three rebounds, 1.2 assists per game, as well as 1.2 steals, and he's shooting 47% from three. He is about it on offense. They have four guys between that 8.7 and 10.6 points per game marker. So a lot of guys who kind of average right around double figures. Ortiz is the best of the bunch, 47% three-point shooter. If the Zags don't find him on the perimeter, he has the potential to have a nice nice night. And then there's Jamari Blackman. Jamari Blackman is probably the GOAT in school history, considering they have only been Division One for four years. He has been there for all of those seasons. Assuming he gets four points against the Zags on Tuesday, he will have crossed over 1,200 career points in a North Alabama uniform. It's good for him. I hope he hits that accomplishment. Uh, 1,200 points isn't exactly a huge barometer for success, but still a really good accomplishment and got to be really fun to be one of the first Division One players at a school like this because you do have the opportunity to set some records. They may get broken 
in time. They probably won't last forever, but pretty cool thing for Jamari Blackman to be the first, I most likely at least the first 1,200 point scorer in Division One history at North Alabama. And finally, uh, the size. This is always something I like to talk about with Gonzaga's opponents because rarely do teams have the ability to match up with Gonzaga size-wise, but this team is certainly not one that will be able to do so. Their biggest player, they only have one player in their rotation who is above six foot seven. That is Damian Forrest. He's 6'10", 220, so he's got some size on him, averaging five and a half points and six and a half rebounds per game. So he'll play a fair amount. He'll get some rebounds. He might be able to push Drew and Chet around a little bit, but this is not a team that has the the size and the physicality to really match up with Gonzaga's bigs down low. Most teams don't, so there's no shame in that, but this is certainly not a team that I think is going to going to really be able to hang with them in the paint. All right, quick primer on North Alabama. Second segment, we're coming back. We're going to touch on the five things that I will specifically be watching for on Tuesday afternoon right after this. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still talking Gonzaga's afternoon game against North Alabama. Might be a little too early for a beer, might be a little too late for a coffee. Not sure what y'all are planning to do for that 2 p.m. start on Tuesday, but I'm hoping that it's a good game that Gonzaga is at least given a little bit of a challenge offensively because North Alabama does have a decent defense. I've listed my five things that I'm specifically going to be watching for. I'll go over these five things on tomorrow's episode and kind of see how they ended up shaking out and and what the results were from the game. The first one is the question that's kind of on everybody's mind is, does the hot three-point shooting continue? Gonzaga shot extremely well from beyond the arc against both Texas Tech, which was the big game. They really needed to shoot it well from beyond the arc in that game, and they did, leading to a nice victory. They followed that up with a great outside shooting performance against Northern Arizona. Not that they needed it as much in that game, but it was still nice to see them have two consecutive days really shooting the rock well. Again, I kind of stated this already in the first segment. I don't know that they'll need it in this one either. I don't know that they'll need a bunch of outside shooting for a huge chunk of the rest of their games this season. St. Mary's is one of the few teams that has multiple big, talented players in the way that could actually make Gonzaga uncomfortable around the rim. BYU doesn't have that size anymore. San Francisco has some size, but not at the level that I think really challenges Gonzaga. San Francisco will be a bit of a, a challenge because they have the guards that are capable of of harassing Gonzaga's guards around the perimeter, which could force them to shoot more outside shots. This team doesn't really have the horses to hang down low, but I'll be curious if Gonzaga, A, attempts a lot of three-point shots because they've been doing that a lot the last couple of games, and B, what their success rate looks like. Do we see them fall back to earth after two games that were well above what they'd been shooting for the rest of, for the earlier part of the season, do we see a team continue to be really hot from the outside? Do we see a team that instead of taking 33s only takes 12 or 13 or 15 or something like that? You know, there's a lot of questions around how this team's going to approach the outside shooting in this game, and that's something I'm going to be watching really closely. Number two is Hunter Salas. Uh, Hunter Salas also had an excellent game against Northern Arizona, his best game in a collegiate uniform so far. He hit his first three of his career, one for eight so far. He had a baseline dunk. He, of course, continued to look excellent on defense. This is the kind of game that I would like to see him play more. Salas's minutes have been some of the most fluctuating minutes on the roster. We saw him play hardly at all against like the UCLA and Texas early in the season. We saw him play significantly more minutes in some of the opponents that 
aren't quite as good, notably the Northern Arizona game. So I'm curious how he gets utilized in this game. Nembhard has been playing a ton of minutes, a ton, a ton, a ton of minutes. Mark Few rides him as much as he possibly can. Now, there's an argument that this is a decent game to let him get some run because they've had a long break and they're heading into conference play where their games are going to get more consistent to a week. There's also an argument to give him a little bit longer break, maybe only play him 23, 25 minutes, give some more opportunities to young guys like Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas. I'm not sure what Mark Few is going to do based on history. He's probably going to play Andrew Nembhard a lot because that's what he does. Not saying there's anything wrong with that. That's just been his routine. But I would like to see Hunter Salas get 15 to 18, if not more, in this game. I think he's deserved it. I think this is a good opportunity for him to play against a team where Gonzaga is going to have a comfortable lead, but also a team that is good defensively, particularly at forcing turnovers that will challenge Salas a little bit. So I think there's a good opportunity for him to get some nice minutes in this game, face a team that's actually going to challenge him a little bit, maybe prove that he's more than just a cutter. Maybe he actually shows more of an outside shot. Maybe he actually facilitates the offense a little bit, something we really haven't seen him do at all this year. Those are the kind of things that I would like to see out of this game. That's kind of my wish list for Hunter Salas, but I'm not sure if Mark Few will give him that opportunity. And then again, this one's kind of on there for all of the the non-conference games that that aren't against the top-tier opponents. It's just the young bigs. You know, we haven't seen a lot of Ben Gregg and Caden Perry this year. Part of that is because of Perry's injury. Obviously, he missed a few games with that when he tweaked his back during warm-ups against Tarleton State. But part of it is just because Chet Holmgren, Drew Timmy, and Anton Watson soak up a ton of minutes. In the past, they've had a pretty consistent four-big lineup. This year, it's three. It's those three guys, and and they haven't been using Julian Strother as the four, something that I have mentioned on most every episode that I have done recently, and something that I would like to see Gonzaga do a little bit more, but again, doing that would be at more of the expense of Ben Gregg and Caden Perry, who I think can really utilize these games to play a significant amount of minutes and stretch their legs and kind of just get experience. Again, this is this is not a big team, so that probably will help them have some success, but it's a decent defensive team, so it might challenge them a little bit on that end of the floor. Uh, it's a chance for Caden Perry to continue to prove that he is healthy, that he has recovered from the back injury. It's a chance for Ben Gregg to show what he's capable of offensively, and frankly, for him defensively. He's struggled uh, on defense this season, and in a limited amount of minutes, you can tell that that is an area of his game that needs to grow fairly significantly for him to be the contributor that that folks want him to be. He needs to improve quite a bit there. This is a game to give him some minutes, to get him the opportunity to show that he can move laterally with guys. He can keep guards in front of him. He can alter shots. He can do that without fouling. All that stuff that he needs to prove he can do. Perry's ahead of him defensively right now and probably ahead of him offensively around the rim, although Ben Gregg is a significantly better outside shooter. So these guys aren't really competing with each other because they're both going to be significant pieces next year and they both offer so many different things that it's it doesn't really make sense to look at it as if it's a competition. But it'd be nice to see both of them work on the things that they need to work on and get an opportunity to do that in a game setting. And then the last two things, number four, Anton Watson's hot streak. He's just been playing out of his mind the last four games. I dedicated a whole podcast to it earlier in the week or last week, I believe. Four straight games has been outstanding. He's 
with Gonzaga's second best passer, second leading the second on the team in steals and assists, been scoring extremely well around the rim the last few games, really aggressive looking for his shot, continues to be one of the best defensive players in the country. Do we see him play more in this game? Does he get a little bit of a breather where we see more of Perry and Greg? Is he still that super confident, give me the basketball, let me go to the rim kind of player? Does he scale back on that? Just kind of curious what what Anton Watson brings to the table in this game after this really hot four-game streak that he's had. And then number five, give me some Martinez Herlauskas. I want, I always want to see more of our guy Martinez Herlauskas. In games like this is the opportunity that he has to come in, play five, six, seven, potentially minutes, depending on the score of the game. He has worked so hard to be a contributor in this program, and it just hasn't come together for him. Gonzaga's obviously had a flood of talented wings on this roster in his time in a Gonzaga uniform. He could have left after last season. He decided to stay. He's really close with Drew Timmy. You can tell he's an energy guy. He brings a lot to the team outside of his contributions on the basketball court. But he's had some tough luck this year, even when he has played, missed some shots he'd normally make. It feels like he's kind of pressing and trying too hard, which is in a way it kind of breaks your heart because you know he's capable of playing, but he's just hasn't really put it together yet this season, even in the small minutes he's getting. This is another opportunity for him. I would love, really more than anything else, for him to score six points in five minutes. Like just hit a couple of shots, maybe hit a three, maybe get an and one, something like that. Just an opportunity because normally when he comes in the game, Matthew Lang's also in, Will Graves might be in, Joe Few might be in. The crowd wants to see those guys score. Those guys are taking deep threes because they want to score. They want to get the fans Arby's or Wendy's or whatever the heck it is these days. And Martinez, who isn't really, he's not a walk-on, so he doesn't fall into that category. So he's kind of trying to get them the ball because that's what the fans want. But he also wants to, you know, he wants to do stuff himself because it's his opportunity as well. So I'm hopeful that this is an opportunity where he can really do something and, and get the fans and the crowd and everybody all riled up. All right, third segment, we're going to go over some zags in the NBA. we got a COVID update for our women's basketball team, unfortunately, that we're going to talk about as well. Before we get to all that, though, let's talk about Bet Online, Folks, Bet Online is back and better than ever. BetOnline features more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, pivoting away from previewing the North Alabama contest happening at 2 p.m. on Tuesday, the 28th in the afternoon. Instead, we're going to talk a little bit about some Zags in the NBA. Before we get to that, though, the news came out just about an hour before I hit the record button. The women's basketball program at Gonzaga is going on a COVID pause. Their two upcoming games against the University of San Francisco and LMU are being postponed as of right now because of positive COVID tests on the women's team. We kind of knew this would happen with at least one of Gonzaga's teams. There's a chance it happens with both of them, obviously, coming out of Christmas break. Players went home, more likely to be exposed to the virus. You know, we I, I talked at length in a previous episode about the COVID pauses and the 
rules that the NCAA hasn't quite adjusted to. Potentially, we, we just saw another announcement today that the CDC is now recommending a shorter quarantine time for positive tests. So maybe that those rules will come into effect in the NCAA. They, they might by the time you're listening to this, because I think the, the league is hoping to move very quickly on some of this stuff. But for now, it looks like the women's team is going to be short their two their first two WCC games. The most notable thing about this, unfortunately, is it does postpone the Courtney Vandersloot jersey retirement, which was going to be a part of the University of San Francisco game. Uh, obviously a tremendous, tremendous event for Gonzaga University. Courtney Vandersloot, one of the greatest players in school history, without a doubt. One of the greatest college basketball players of all time. 2,000 points, 1,000 assists. The only other person to do that is Sabrina Ionescu, who's one of the greatest college basketball players of all time. Also coached by Kelly Graves. I don't think that is a coincidence. Uh, But Sloot, it does look like we're going to have to postpone that. I know the reason that it has taken so long for Courtney to get her jersey retired in the first place is because of trying to schedule it around a a chance where she could actually be in attendance because the sad reality is that WNBA players spend their off-seasons playing in Europe in order to make enough money to survive because they do not get paid well enough in the WNBA. I don't know whether she just opted not to play overseas this year, what exactly her situation was, but the timing worked out great to do it this year after the Chicago Sky's improbable run to win a WNBA championship. Sloot was all over the news because she was one of the best players on that team that won it all. It was an incredible story to capitalize on that and get her number hanging up in the kennel was great. Hopefully they'll still find a way to get it done this year. I really am optimistic that that will be the case because it's going to be a really, really fun event at the kennel. All right, taking a look at a couple zags in the NBA. We're not going to go through every single guy, just a few players that have kind of popped in recent days. A lot of it in part because of COVID. So it's somewhat topical in a depressing way in that in that regard, just because a lot of these guys have gotten more opportunities to play because there are multiple players throughout the league in health and safety protocols, meaning they're missing games, meaning some of the guys who weren't playing as much are getting to play more. That starts with Corey Kispert. Corey Kispert made his first NBA start Uh, in part because he was playing for Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, who was in health and safety protocols. Kispert made the most of that first start in Madison Square Garden against the Knicks. He dropped a 20 spot, went four for five from three, a tremendous first start for him, really kind of showed everybody what he is capable of doing, showed the Washington fans that they were right to be patient with him, that yes, he hasn't been playing much as a guy who was picked in the lottery, but he is still absolutely worth it. His next game, he also started, he took five threes in that game as well, but instead of making four of them, he made zero of them. So he's still a rookie. He's still going to have games like that. It happens. It's not the end of the world. He still had eight eight points in that game as well. Hopefully he continues to get chances to start, or if he does revert back to the bench, that he's more a more consistent part of the rotation going forward. It's clear that he's earned that. Sticking with Washington, Joel Ayayi finally scored his first NBA bucket in his sixth NBA game. He has played very sparingly as a two-way player who splits time between the Capital City Go-Go's in the G League and the Washington Wizards. He took five shots in four minutes against the 76ers. You could tell he just really wanted to get that first bucket out of the way. He finally did. Finished with two points and a rebound and an assist. Again, I think he's going to be kind of pinballing back and forth throughout large chunks of the year, but hopefully he gets more opportunities to prove himself with Washington as the year goes on. Speaking of two-way contracts, moving on to Killian Tilly. Killian Tilly has been on an absolute roll lately with Memphis. He's been playing really, really well. In his last nine games, he's averaging just under five points, just under two rebounds, and about an assist per game in 16 minutes. I know that's not 
a huge number, but considering he was a two-way player, he was outside the rotation, even when he was on the NBA roster last year and earlier this year, he was barely, barely playing. Now he's playing a consistent 16 minutes per night. He's still, he picked up a DNP recently. I I felt very bad for Theo Lawson of the Spokesman Review who went down to watch a Memphis game, get a chance to talk to Killian Tilly. And of course, uh, after playing multiple, multiple games in a row, that was the one game that Tilly did not play. So he's still not quite consistently part of that rotation, but in these last nine games, like I said, five points, two boards, 16 minutes. He's also shooting 38% from three. That's what's going to do it. That is what's going to do. He's six foot ten, hits thirty eight percent of his threes. He also had a ridiculous Sports Center top ten block of Rashawn Holmes at the rim against the Sacramento Kings. Dude was going in for a full on dunk until he swatted the crap out of it, pushed it clear back to the free throw line. An incredible block. If you can block dudes at the rim and knock down thirty eight percent of your threes, you're going to stick in the NBA. I can promise you that. I'm not a scout. I'm not a general manager, but I can promise you that those two skills alone. If you can do very little else, which he has more skills than that, but even if that's all he had, that is enough to keep you in the NBA. So I'm excited to see what continues to happen with him. One thing that will cut into his playing time, unfortunately, is the news that Brandon Clark is back. Brandon Clark missed 11 games, which was part of the reason that Killian Tilly did see an uptick in playing time. Clark returned. He played on the the 26th of the month, uh, 14 points, 5 rebounds, and 2 assists on 5 of 6 shooting. A very, very, very Brandon Clark-esque line, as you would expect. It was great to see him get a tip dunk on a Killian Tilly miss. Uh, Very fun to see those two guys as teammates playing really well. Uh, Hopefully Clark's return doesn't hurt Tilly's minutes too much. But again, Memphis has some decisions to make. Having too many talented players at the same position is never a bad thing. I'm sure the Memphis team is not upset about this, but it does mean that these two guys are probably going to continue to take playing time from each other as the year goes on. And finally, the last player that I wanted to talk about is Cleveland Cavaliers point guard Kevin Pangos. Pangos, like these other guys, has seen an uptick in playing time in part because of health and safety protocol rules surrounding the Cleveland organization. Over the last five games, Pangos has played nine minutes per game, which is way up from the basically not playing at all that he was doing before that. Uh, He's averaging three and a half points, one and a half assists and shooting 37% from three. Uh, He set a career high in points, assists, and minutes on the 26th of December, 16 minutes in that game, six points and six assists. So great to see him getting a bit more of an opportunity. Uh, Cleveland obviously has been a lot better than many people expected them to be, which has been part of the reason he hasn't played as much, but he's clearly deserving of it and plays well when he gets the opportunity. And ideally there will be more, more opportunities for him as the year goes on. All right, that is going to do it for today. Tomorrow is, of course, going to be a review of Tuesday's game and a look around the conference before we get into the season on Thursday against San Diego. All right here, Locked on Zags, available wherever you get your podcasts and, of course, available on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button if you have not already. Finally, thank you to all of you who make this show your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On Bets podcast. Locked On Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.